Hi, this is Pastor Curtis Crawford welcoming you to our podcast. At Revive Outreach Church, we're striving to revive an awareness of Christ in our communities through Christ-centered compassion, service, and evangelism. You can learn more about us online at www.reviveoc.org or on Facebook at facebook.com slash church. We hope that you enjoy this message, and God bless. This week, we're going to continue to look at who Jesus is um, and should be to us. We're going to look at Matthew chapter 20. Let's start with verse 29. As they were leaving Jericho, a large crowd followed him. There were two blind men sitting by the road. And when they heard that Jesus was passing by, they cried out, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. The crowd demanded that they keep quiet, but they cried out all the more, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. Jesus stopped, called them, and said, What do you want me to do for you? Lord, they said to him, Open our eyes. Move with compassion. Jesus touched their eyes. Immediately they could see, and they followed him. Amen. Today we're going to continue this series by looking at uh, some blind men who Jesus healed. Um, and this particular encounter is actually recorded not just in Matthew, but it's also recorded in the book of Mark and the book of Luke. And we're going to look at today at each one of these, how they're different, try to reconcile those differences, and then look at the question that Jesus posed to Bartimaeus and his friend, the other blind beggar. So when you look at Matthew chapter 20, Look at the first part of verse 29, and then also the first part of verse 30. It says, as they were leaving Jericho, and then the first part of verse 30 says, there were two blind men sitting by the road. Now, each one of these descriptions in Matthew and Mark and Luke, they are the same encounter from three different perspectives. Luke 18, verse 35 says that Jesus approached Jericho, but both Matthew and Mark said he was leaving Jericho. So how could Jesus both be approaching Jericho and also leaving Jericho? Well, this is due to the geography of Jericho at this time. Jericho was the oldest, or is one of the oldest cities uh, uh, in this region. And if you recall, it's made famous because of, uh, in the Old Testament, because of uh, the fact that when Joshua and the Israelites crossed over the Jordan, the first place they came to was Jericho, and they walked around the city per the instructions of God, and the walls fell down, and Jericho was captured and destroyed. But one of the things that made Jericho special is that it set upon a spring of water, which made the land around it uh, very uh, lush with, with grass and plants and the ability to sustain, uh, you know, uh, livestock. And, and in the middle of a desert was this oasis. So there was this barren wilderness, but in the middle of it was Jericho that was founded upon this spring, this well of water that flowed from under the ground, which made a, 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 a would-be uninhabitable place inhabitable, an oasis in the midst of a barren uh, wilderness. Well, after Jericho was destroyed, 
it was left that way. And, and then Herod the Great, when he came into power, he decided that he was going to rebuild a city just to the south of where Jericho had stood before. About a mile south, in fact, so that you could both be leaving Jericho and entering Jericho at the same time. So there was the historical site, old Jericho, and then there was the new Jericho, which Herod the Great had constructed. And you had people living in both regions. And so when Jesus is making his way, he's making his way through from old Jericho down the mile stretch into new Jericho, and he's heading towards Jerusalem. We all know what he's heading to Jerusalem to do. He was headed to Jerusalem where he would ultimately celebrate the Passover and then give his life as the ultimate Passover lamb. The second uh, discrepancy is that uh, Matthew tells us that there were two blind beggars. Mark tells us that there was one and gives him a name. That name is Bartimaeus. And Luke tells us there's one but does not give a name. Well, this is easily reconciled because Bartimaeus was most likely the one who was the spokesperson, the one who actually cried out or, or answered Jesus when Jesus posed the question uh, that we're about to talk about uh, to him. So Bartimaeus became kind of the focus of Mark. But with Matthew and Luke, he didn't give them names, uh, did not name any of the men. Again, a story, a single encounter from three separate perspectives. Now it should be known that this path between old Jericho and new Jericho would have been inhabited by lots of blind individuals, blind beggars. And the reason is, is due to that underground spring and all of the, uh, 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 you know, uh, vegetation and the richness of the ground, there was a balsam plant that grew there that was known to relieve the ailment of blindness. So it could relieve, uh, it was known as kind of a medicinal uh, herb or, or, or plant that could actually help alleviate the symptoms or at least give some a re, re, a reprieve to those who were suffering from blindness. And so throughout this area, it was warm because of where it was located. It had uh, lush vegetation, and then also there was this hope of having some form of relief from the ailment of blindness. And so there were blind people who were there who had been blind since birth. There were blind people who were there that had been blind by sickness. And there were blind people who were there who were blind from physical circumstance, such as war or an accident. There would have been all kinds of blind beggars on this mile stretch between old Jericho and new Jericho. So even though Matthew mentions two and the others only mention one, uh, the bottom line is, is that there were most likely Lots, many of blind beggars on this road. And so as Jesus and his disciples are making their way, it tells us again in verse uh, 29, the second part of verse 29, that a large crowd followed him. So I'm trying to set the scene for you that there's old Jericho, new Jericho. Jesus is traveling from old 
through the new to go to Jerusalem where he'll ultimately give his life, okay? Along this path is a bunch of blind beggars who would be uh, begging for money so that they could get food and clothing and be, have their needs taken care of as well as seeking some sort of a miracle from this medicinal plant to get their hands upon it. Uh, and then also the Bible says that a large crowd was following Jesus. And so throughout the word of spreading of his miracles and everything that he had done, the healing and casting out demons and raising the dead, he had uh, developed this large following that was now following him through the Jericho and to Jerusalem. And it would be this crowd that would be ushering him into Jerusalem as he rode upon the donkey for what we know as Palm Sunday or the triumphal entry. So this crowd was following him all the way through to Jerusalem. And so uh, now you have all of these different people. You've got the blind beggars. You've got the crowd who are chasing him for his miracles, uh, but believing that potentially uh, he is the Messiah. This would be the same crowd that uh, soon would be waving palm branches and saying, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven from Matthew chapter 21 verse 9. These are the same people. Then you also have the disciples, the 12 disciples that are with Jesus, right? And so all of these are along this path as Jesus is entering New Jericho to walk through it to go to Jerusalem. And as this scene is set, we're now going to focus upon the encounter. So the Bible says in the latter half, latter half of verse 30 in Matthew chapter 20, when they heard, meaning when the blind men, these two blind men heard that Jesus was passing by, they cried out, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. So the first thing here is that these men heard that Jesus was coming. Now, their senses would have been heightened because they were not blind and they had been blind, or they could not see and they had been blind for a long time. And so they heard the crowd and they heard them whispering and they heard them, I'm sure, saying, Jesus and Jesus and Jesus and Messiah, all of these things, right? Uh, and so they heard, they knew who Jesus was, they heard that he was coming. And when they heard that he was coming, they decided that this was their opportunity to take action. They were not going to be the same when Jesus passed by as they were before he showed up, right? And so the Bible says that they cried out. Now, the Greek word there translated cried out is K-R-A-Z-O, K-R-A-Z-O. And is used to describe screaming and anguish, an anguish shout. It is used for the rantings of an insane person or the cries of a woman in childbirth. Do you hear what I'm saying? We're talking about anguish. We're talking about pain. We're talking about suffering. We're talking about removing all dignity, putting all pride aside, and being in so much pain and having such a great need that you cry out. That you cry out. I remember uh, when... Uh, when Kelly was uh, pregnant with Curtis and it was time for the baby to be delivered, I was very young. And uh, I, this was our first child. Uh, we didn't really know what to expect. And I can remember the doctor said to Kelly, uh, we want you to go in and take a hot shower. 
So Kelly thought that, and me too, that that meant that it was going to give her some relief from the pain that she was feeling, but it did not. What it actually did is it caused the contractions to come on stronger and faster. And I remember being on the outside in the, in the room uh, waiting on her, and she began to cry. I mean, really cry. Like, scream cry. And it scared me. It frightened me. Why? Because she had held it together through this whole period, and I barely even knew that she was in pain other than every once in a while a wince on her face. But when she went into the shower, the contractions increased in intensity, and suddenly my cough line began to scream. In fact, it had such an impact upon my father-in-law that he was outside in a waiting room, and when he heard Kelly scream, he began to punch the wall. You could hear it through the hospital. He was hitting the wall because he heard his daughter in so much pain and anguish that she lost control and had to cry out. That's what I'm talking about here. These men were crying out in anguish because they wanted to get Jesus' attention. They were in so much need. They wanted their lives to be changed. And they were not going to allow Christ to pass by without him hearing what they were asking for. They were going to get his attention no matter what it took. Cry out in anguish. Cry out like madmen. Cry out with everything that was in, in them. They did not have sight, but they did have their voice. Now, have you ever stopped and asked yourself if, based on what we talked about earlier, and, and, and it is very likely that there were many blind people that were along this path seeking some sort of healing or some sort of treatment or begging for money, why did only two get healed? Why did only two get healed? When I think about that, in my mind, it's because the others were asking for money. They were asking for something that the crowd could give them. So as the crowd and the disciples of Christ passed by, begging for money, the crowd could easily meet that need if they wanted to. They could hand them money to meet their temporary need. And that crowd was content to have their temporary need met because their faith was not in Christ. Or those beggars were, were content to have the temporary need met because their faith was in some sort of medical procedure, or they were content with simply being able to live for that day and buy food. They were complacent and happy with where they were at, or at least had contented themselves that, you know, re resolved in themselves that this is where they were always going to be. So they were content with this temporary blessing. But Bartimaeus and his blind friend, what they wanted, the crowd could not give them. Amen. Only Jesus could Amen. give them. Yeah. So the crowd could have thrown money all they wanted to into their begging cups or into what, you know, handed it to them. But it wasn't the money they were looking for. Right. Amen. 
They were looking for a divine miracle for their lives to be forever changed. Not to just make it temporarily from sundown to sunset or to the next morning. They were looking for a change that would affect the rest of their lives. The others were content with a temporary blessing. Bartimaeus and his friend wanted an eternal blessing. Amen. So they cried out, Son of David. This is a messianic title that is only used in the Gospels. The way that it is phrased here is only used in the Gospels. Son of David. Bartimaeus and his blind friend were saying they believed that he was the Messiah. Now, we know from last week that many of the crowd and many of those who followed uh, Christ they did not quite understand what it meant to be the Messiah. Even the disciples confessed him as Messiah, but they did not fully understand what they meant. They were looking for a conquering king, not a suffering lamb. Mm -hmm. Right? And so Bartimaeus and, and his friend are confessing as Messiah, even though in their minds, right, uh, they were expecting a different, a different uh, uh, action by the Messiah. They still believed that he was the Messiah. The Savior. All right, look with me now to verse 31. And then the crowd demanded that they keep quiet, but they cried out all the more, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. And so the crowd who was gathered around Christ, they told him to be quiet. Why? Because they could not be disturbed, and they're following of Jesus. They had their own needs. They had their own agendas. They had what they wanted. And the cries of these two blind men that were so loud, and I've already described to you the conviction and the anguish and their voice and the thought that were screaming like mad men, uh, they said, be quiet. It made them uncomfortable. It made them uncomfortable or their indifference caused them to be callous. It was one of those two things. Now, many times when... People are screaming for help. It does one of two things. It makes us uncomfortable or, or our indifference causes us to be callous. I'll tell you what I mean. I work in D.C. You see all kinds of people in D.C. when you walk upon the streets. You, you see all kinds of different types of people. And there are people that will be standing on the streets on occasion who are clearly not in their right minds. Most likely due to heavy drug use or being intoxicated. And they will stand in the street and scream. I remember one particular occasion, there was a gentleman standing just outside of the Capital One Arena. And I mean, he was just shouting like a madman. And everybody would come by cussing and accusing and hollering and just being crazy. Right? Clearly, his mind was in an addled state. And I remember myself thinking, man, what is wrong with that dude? And I have to be honest with you. My first thought was, how can, was not, how can I help him? My first thought was, I'm going to go over to the other side of the road. <laughs> now look, I'll be honest. The rest of you can uh, pretend like you would have ran right up to him and prayed with him. Uh, and he'd have been delivered. But I'm going to be honest. When I saw him screaming and hollering at passerby, I came to the next crosswalk and I crossed to the other side of the road. Right? Well, right? Yep. 
I was indifferent, and he made me uncomfortable. Now, the truth is, if I thought, this is the truth, that God knows my heart, if I really believed that I could have helped him, I would have went and tried to help him. But he made me feel uncomfortable. I can believe that I honestly can tell you that I don't feel like I was callous towards him. I felt he made me uncomfortable. A man who needed help, and I didn't know how to help him. I didn't feel like I could help him and meet his needs, so he made me feel uncomfortable, and essentially with my actions, I told him to be quiet. I crossed the other side of the road. Then there were others, as they walked by him, they mocked him. They made fun of him. They were the callous and different ones. The ones who didn't care what he was going through. They didn't have one ounce of compassion for this gentleman. And so as they walked by, they made fun of him. They teased him. They tried to get him to get louder. They tried to encourage him to say crazier things. And they mocked him. And, and, and that was their indifference calling, causing callous behavior. And so in, the instance of, in this instance, when the crowd is trying to shush him, there were probably those who simply were felt uncomfortable. Maybe they felt a little guilty and ashamed because they had not helped blind the blind in the past, or they didn't know how to help them. They had ignored them. Or there were those who were simply so selfish and focused on what their life was and what they wanted that they wanted them to hush and they became callous towards them. Knowing Jesus could heal them, knowing that Jesus could perform a miracle, the answer was right there. I mean, they were following him, for goodness sakes, because of what he had done, the miracles he had performed. So when these two blind beggars were crying out, they should have brought him them to Jesus. Instead, they told them to be quiet. They were either felt uncomfortable and didn't know what to do, or they simply were so self-involved that they told them to be quiet because they wanted to hear what Jesus had to say to them. We have that in our church today. We have a lot of people that always want a word from God, but they don't want to help anybody else. Wow. They want their word. Wow. They want their blessing. They want the pastor to lay hands on them and spit all over them. You know what I'm saying? They want, what, want their stuff. Meanwhile, the homeless, the hurting, the Come sick, on sit right next to them and they don't notice or they turn their nose up. Mm. We do that and who, you know, if we're, we're honest with ourselves, who is it that we have ignored their cries and told to shh, either verbally or through our actions because it made us feel uncomfortable mm. or because we were simply callous and too worried about ourselves and not concerned with them. Right. And that is a huge, huge challenge. Yet, in spite of the callousness of the crowd, the indifference of the crowd, in spite of the crowd being made uncomfortable and telling them to hush, to be quiet, the Bible says what? They turned up the volume. They went from 10 to 11. If you thought they were screaming in English before, you didn't know what you were thinking. If you thought they were screaming like crazy men before, uh, they didn't know what they were thinking. Because why? They turned it up a notch. From 10 to 11. So much so that they, they were over, screaming over the loudness of the crowd surrounding, surrounding Christ. And they cried and they cried and they screamed and they begged, Son of David, have mercy on us. And then one of the greatest 
verses in my mind, and I'm serious, I've preached multiple messages on this from the book of Mark. The book of Mark says, and Jesus stood still. The book of Matthew here says, Jesus stopped. Jesus stopped. And in the midst of all of this chaos, in the midst of his disciples, in the midst of the crowd, in the midst of all the people begging for money, it was the cries of these bad men, the cries of anguish from these men that caused Jesus to stop. That should give you and I hope that he will stop for you. Praise Amen. the Lord. Amen. Especially in what we're dealing with today and all the craziness that we're seeing as a society right now with COVID-19 and all of this uncertainty and all this fear and all this doubt. When you and I cry out to God in uncertainty and in fear, Jesus listens. Right. Amen. Now these men were not crying out like the rest of the beggars. And even like the crowd. They were crying out with conviction and pain. And they were crying out from a sense of, of, of wanting to, to experience Christ and have their lives changed. Right. That's the difference, too. Amen. What is our motivation for crying out? Right? When we're crying out for peace and comfort and joy, why are we crying out? And if we are crying out with pure motives, to Christ. He will listen. He will stop what he's doing and listen to what we have to say. Praise Why? Because the Bible says he called them. He had compassion on them. Right? So he calls them. He stops. He calls them. And in verse 32b, he asked them this question. If you don't mind writing in your Bibles or you can highlight, highlight this question. Jesus said to them in verse 32, what do you want me to do for you? What a question. That's easy to skip over. In fact, as many times as I've preached messages from the book of Mark chapter 10 on this, and as many times as I've read this myself, it's the first time I've studied the gravity of what that question is. What a powerful question. What do you want me to do for you? Now, we're not talking about some regular person asking them this. We're not talking about me and my limited resources saying, what is it that I can do for you? We're talking about God. Omnipotent, all-powerful, all-knowing, ever-present, yes. sovereign God. Amen. Stopping and saying, what can I do for you? Now to put this in perspective, I want you to look to Mark chapter 10 again, looking at verse 35. Because in Mark chapter 10 is where you find the story of, of what we're, the encounter that we're talking about at the very end of the chapter with blind Bartimaeus and his friend. But the story before that is about James and John. Two of Jesus' disciples, the sons of Zebedee, known as the sons of thunder. And they had a question for Jesus, a request, just like Bartimaeus and his blind friend had. Verse 35 says, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, approached him and said, meaning they approached Jesus and they said, Teacher, we want you to do whatever we ask of you. 
So you've got two contrasting situations. Before Mark tells us about Bartimaeus, he tells us about James and John. I don't think that's an accident. Could be. Regardless, it presents two very different responses to the question. Because, Jesus, because Bartimaeus and his friend got Jesus' attention and they wanted to make a request, have mercy on him. They had a request they wanted to make. James and John went to Jesus and said, we have a request we want to make. And so Jesus says to James and John, what do you want me to do for you? If you write in your Bibles as you've turned to that, I want you to highlight it or underline it. What do you want me to do for you? Now, what was their answer? Allow us to sit at your right and at your left in your glory. Now, not too long before this, just months before this, Jesus had said, who do you say that I am? And Peter had stood up and said, you're Christ. You're the Messiah. You're the Savior. And the disciples acknowledged their agreement. They agreed. They nodded their heads. Yes. And so while they believed it was the Messiah, what does this tell us? It tells us they still didn't understand what really it meant to be the Messiah. Right. Because as they walked from Jericho to Jerusalem, where Jesus was ultimately going to be sacrificed, he was being followed by his 12 disciples and by the crowds to watch them over, watch Jesus overthrow the Roman government. His coronation. He was the Messiah, the warrior king. The one who was going to deliver them finally from the tyranny of their oppressors and be king for all eternity over Israel. To be king. And so James and John, who is following Christ and obviously sensing as something's changing and that maybe he's about to fulfill everything they believed he was going to fulfill and ignoring, as the Bible teaches us, all of Jesus' warnings about dying and being a sacrifice. They say, Jesus, we have a question. He says, what can I do for you? Again, they can ask him for anything. James and John and Peter were Jesus' inner circle among the twelve. So Jesus had twelve, but three of those twelve were like his inner circle, his confidants, the ones who he kept very, very close. So two of his inner circle, James and John, came to Jesus with this request, expecting him to answer it. And when Jesus said, what do you want, they could have asked him for anything. But they were selfish and self-centered, and they asked him for glory. Mm. Believing that he was about to set himself up as king, they asked for glory. His closest followers asked for glory. Because they still saw him as a lion and not the lamb. Mm. They asked for Jesus to let them sit at his left, his right hand, and his left hand. Now let's go back to Matthew chapter 20. In contrast, 
what James and John asked for when posed with the question, what can I do for you, with what Bartimaeus asked from Jesus. So just as Jesus allowed James and John to approach him with their request, so two of his most trusted inner circle people, he allowed them to approach him and make a request. He now called to two blind beggars. Matthew doesn't name them. Luke doesn't name them. Mark does name one of them, gives him the, an actual name, but in all intents and purposes to faceless, nameless beggars. And he allows them to approach them and just as Jesus asked James and John what he could do for them, he asked these two beggars the same question. He was giving them as much attention to the beggars as he did to two of his closest confidants, James and John. But their answers could not have been more different. James and John, they asked for glory. But Bartimaeus and his friend, they asked for mercy. Mm. James and John asked for glory. But Bartimaeus and his blind friend, they asked for mercy. Verse 33 and 34 of Matthew chapter 20 says, Lord, they said to him, open our eyes. And moved with compassion, Jesus touched their eyes. Immediately they could see, and they followed him. When Jesus stops and asks these two men what they want from him, what they want for him to do for them, they had a choice. They could play it safe, or they could take a huge risk. They could play it safe and ask for money, a temporary blessing. They could have asked for him to give them money, to give them some sort of material blessing and play it safe because in front of everybody with the attention of the crowd and the disciples of Jesus, they would have made a lot of money probably. The crowd would have been felt compelled to give these two guys money if they would have asked for it simply because Jesus had, they had Jesus' attention. But instead of asking for money, they took a risk and they asked for healing. N.T. Wright writes this. The voice that had called them, the voice they guessed must be Jesus, was asking them a question nobody had asked them for years and years. What do you want me to do for you? We want to see. Jesus was deeply moved. He knew what it had cost them and would cost them to dig down beneath the hard crust of a lifetime of begging for money, and to ask instead for the one thing that really mattered, and they did. Let me stop there for a second. You and I asked Christ to treat the superficial instead of the deep-rooted need that we have. Why? Because if he addressed the deep-rooted need, it means we must change. And we don't want to change. Bartimaeus could have asked for the superficial, but he would not have been changed. It would have met the temporary need, but it would have not met the eternal need. What we do with God is we ask for the superficial. We can't get beyond the superficial and get down to the root 
of what is causing our pain and our hurt and our suffering because if we do, it may change us and change the way we live our lives. And we are comfortable living our lives the way that we are. They could have been comfortable like all the others along the roadside begging for money and to have their temporary needs met. That is how they had lived their lives for as long as they could remember. For years and years and years, decades, they had begged and lived off of the mercy of a society. It had become habit. It had become ritual. It had become religion. They did this every day to get their needs met. Yet they were willing to take the chance and throw that away. Scream like madmen. Holler like crazy. Make themselves look like fools. Because they were no longer satisfied with the superficial. They wanted the eternal. Amen. And so when Jesus asks, they say that we may receive our sight. And when they responded, he healed them. And remember, when he healed them, it changed everything. These men had never worked. They had never met their own needs. They had never provided for themselves. They had only lived off of what society gave them. When they were healed, guess what? They no longer had an excuse to stand on the roadside begging. My goodness, that's a sermon all and of itself. They no longer had an excuse to remain the same. But they were now changed. And what the Bible says is they followed him. So they left aside. Mark goes so far as to say that Bartimaeus threw aside his cloak upon the ground, his most precious possession, so he could follow and get to Christ. When Jesus answered that request, it changed their lives, and they had to give up what they were used to and become something new. And they followed him. When you and I truly call upon Christ and we call upon his name, we can no longer remain the same, but we must change. We no longer have an excuse. My teacher I had years ago in high school, our band director was a tough, tough man. And when we would make mistakes or we would not be able to do something or could not participate in something, whatever it was, and we would give him our excuse, he would always look at us. And for four years, he would say, if you need an excuse, you have one. We live our lives making excuses for old behaviors so that we can continue to walk on those old behaviors. Uh, Bartimaeus and his friend could have been charlatans. They could have waited till the crowd passed. And there were only blind people left. They could have pretended like they were blind again and sat there in bed. They could have went back to what they knew. But you see, they were changed by God. 
And they had a real encounter with Christ. And so when Jesus healed them, they could not afford, nor did they want to remain where they were at and go back to their old lifestyle. Remember, long after Jesus dies, they're still alive and able to see. Praise the Lord. Amen. Wow. Long after he died, long after he rose from the dead, they still were alive and healed from their blindness. Now, we have no idea what they did. But what they would have had to have done is get jobs. And most likely, because of what Christ did for them, they were part of that early church. Mm-hmm. And they were honoring him and serving him. Never going back to that mile-long stretch between old Jericho and new Jericho. They were on this side of Jericho, and they were going to stay that way. Mm-hmm. That's a whole nother sermon. Mm-hmm. They were not going back to Jericho. Their lives were forever changed from this one encounter. Jesus, if you look to Mark chapter 10, after when Jesus heals them, Mark actually adds something else in verse 52. In Mark chapter 10, when he heals them, he said, Go, your faith has saved you. Now the Greek word translated saved you, and in some translations it's translated made you well is Z-O-S-O. And it referred to any kind of rescue or deliverance, including deliverance from physical affliction or peril. And, coincidentally, not really, it is also the most common New Testament word for salvation. It is the most common New Testament word for salvation. It's like when Jesus told the man, remember when the uh, uh, friends had the man who was lame and they couldn't get in to see Jesus and so they lowered him down and they cut a hole in the roof and lowered him down and instead of Jesus saying, get up, take up your bed and walk, he said, what? I forgive you. Your sins are forgiven. And then, of course, the Pharisees said, how can you forgive sins? And Jesus said, well, so that you know I have the power to forgive sins, rise up, take up your bed, and walk. The guy rose up, took his bed, and he walked. His faith made this, that lame man, his faith not only physically healed him, it spiritually healed him. His sins were forgiven. Same thing here. Not only were their eyes opened physically, but their eyes were opened spiritually so that they were not only delivered from their physical ailment, they were also delivered from the spiritual uh, ailment. And what Jesus did when he opened these blind men's eyes is what he wants to do for blinded souls. When you look at this, what makes this also so amazing, this story, is that Jesus is On his last trip, he knows that when he gets to Jerusalem, everything's about to change. See, he's sovereign, and and he's uh, all-knowing, and he knew why he came to begin with. And he knows now that when he gets to Jerusalem, what he's about to suffer. 
We know how anguished he was, was because when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane and he was praying, he was in so much pain and was so much anguish to not suffer what he was about to have to suffer that the Bible says he sweated blood. He was hemorrhaging at his veins. He was hemorrhaging because of the fear. He was afraid. He knew what was coming. And so as he's walking this road surrounded by the crowds, who he knew their real thoughts, and he knew that not long after this, the people who were crying Hosanna, blessed is he who comes, were going to be standing in the streets crying crucify him. Mm -hmm. In fact, that same Greek word that was used by Bartimaeus and his friend, K-R-A-Z-O, is the same word that Matthew uses, or no, Mark uses to describe the crowd crying out, crucify Christ. Crazy, anguished cries, crucify him. So the roles get reversed. Now this crowd that was crying Hosanna and waving palm branches and believing he was king, when, when he didn't live up to their expectations, they turned against him, and now they were suddenly crying out like the blind men, but an opposite. The blind men were crying out and calling him Messiah and clearly doing from a heart of faith, but now the, this crowd turned on him, and they were crying out like madmen and complete sin and rebelliousness, commanding for him to be crucified. He knew their hearts. He knew what was coming. He knew what this crowd was going to do. And he knew the pain and the suffering he was going to face. Yet in the midst of all of that, he stopped. Because two people wanted him and wanted something more. He knew what was coming. The cross and everything that went with that. He could have been indifferent. Or he could have been distracted. Because of fear and worry. He could have been distracted because he didn't want to suffer this pain. He didn't want to hurt. He didn't want to die. But he wasn't distracted. And it says something about how awesome he was. That as he was going to his death, as he was being led to his death, he stopped and healed two men who needed him. That's amazing reflection of who Christ is today. Amen. That even in the midst of his own suffering, he healed two men. Mm -hmm. And then it even further is revealed when he's upon the cross, already beaten already in agony and one of the men asked for forgiveness and he forgave him. That's the God that you and I serve. That's the God who gave his life for you and I. One moment in his life where he said the son of man has not come to be served but to serve. He was never selfish. He was never self-centered. That's who Jesus is to us. Loving, caring, always wants the best for his children. Amen. So today as we wind up this message, 
We look at what Bartimaeus, and we look at what happened with him and his blind friend. We see that Jesus, he stopped. He gave Bartimaeus his full attention. He gave him, said, what is it that I can do for you? He not only asked that, he listened to the answer, and then he healed him. For, Bar for Bartimaeus, Jesus was his healer, his rescuer, and his deliverer. Amen. He was the one who made him well and saved his soul. Praise the Lord. As you and I think about this today, I ask you these questions. Who around you is crying out that you've shut down, shushed, or been indifferent toward? What is an area in your and my life that I need to cry out for mercy? Not superficial, but get down into the meat, the nitty-gritty. What is it? How would you respond to the question if Jesus were to ask you, what do you want me to do for you? Would it be selfish and self-centered, wanting material things? What would it be? And what would our relationships look like if we lived with that same concern for others that Jesus had and we asked them the same question? Instead of, shh, instead of being indifferent, instead of being callous, instead of feeling uncomfortable, what if we asked, what can we do for you? Let us stand. Thank you for listening to this message. We hope that you enjoyed it and were blessed by it. Each month, we have people from all over the world who listen to the messages made available. If you've been blessed by this ministry, would you consider making a donation of any amount to help support us as we continue to reach the loss for Christ? Donations can be made online at www.reviveoc.org or by check at Revive Outreach Church, 411 Chatham Heights Road, Suite 101, Fredericksburg, Virginia, 22405. Thank you for your prayers and your continued support. May God richly bless you. Bless you.